Patchwork Heart Ministry and Fiat Ministry Network present the Discover Your Mission series. Now I had been brought up without any prayer, without Bible, without church, nothing of that kind. And so when my father died, I became suicidally depressed. I, I had no desire to live. And yet, by the grace of God, uh, whenever I got to the point of actually taking my life, I always had this interior conviction that if I took my life, I would simply find it again on the other side and it would be permanent misery. But it wasn't until I became a wife and a mother and I began to try and pass my faith on to my children that I realized that everything I knew about Jesus was memorized doctrine. I was a good man, I was a good father, I was instilling the sacraments into my family. Uh, I was definitely not intentional, I was stuck broke in my faith. But what kind of strength did he have? Jackie did not just have a strength of body or baseball skill. He had a strength inside of his spirit, a courageous meekness that empowered him to play the game. And I tell him what is going on with me and he's like, oh, okay. And I'm like, no, no, no. I think this is like some sort of miracle, dude. And he's like, okay, you know, of course, but I'll believe it when I see it, honey. You've been trying to quit and you've been saying this and saying that. And I'm, a, you know, he, his big line to me is, you shouldn't say things <laughs> because I never followed through on them. And so this was week after week, month after month. He is looking at me like, this is a miracle. There is no way that you on your own could have done this. We are called to sing. All of us are called to sing. All of us are called to express ourselves and join our voice into the unity of the church. Uh, often with my choirs, I, I ask them to listen to each other, to listen to the, the sound that they make together as one. That's what we're aiming for through the harmony or unison, we're aiming for a one sound. You need to decide. What are you gonna participate in? Are you gonna participate in the historic Christian idea of the altar of sacrifice, which is in the Eucharist or not? Welcome to the Sowing Hope Podcast. This is a show all about implanting hope in our hearts. I'm Bill Snyder, joined by my friend Ann DeSantis. We're glad you're here for our uplifting conversation about faith and how it sustains our hearts through all the seasons of life. Thanks for walking with us. And good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Sewing Hope Podcast. I am Bill Snyder. It's great to be with you. It's another one of those evenings in Wisconsin, anyway, when it begins to 
get colder out, snow, rain, all that yucky stuff. But I'm glad I'm inside and being able to talk with you this evening and be here on another episode of Sewing Hope. As always, I'm joined by my friend, Ann DeSantis. And how are you, Ann? Is it uh, always dark in Philadelphia tonight? Well, tonight it is. <laughs> I'm right next to the window, and it's pretty much pitch black outside. So, <laughs> uh, Very good. Well, um, we have another great show for everybody. It, it's incredible we started off the New Year so strong, and we have a great guest uh, with us. Why don't you tell us a little bit about her? Yes, I am so excited. We have an amazing guest, uh, Kimberly Cook, coming to us from Virginia. She's married to her husband, Corey, four children, the author of the book Motherhood Redeemed by Tan Books and the Dignity of Women podcast. She has an amazing story uh, where she really came into her Catholic faith and decided to uh, let go of of all of the societal norms and and put aside what society presents to us as, as to what motherhood really means. And it means so much more than that. So, Kimberly, thank you so much for joining us on Sewing Hope. Thank you both for having me. It's very exciting to be here, <laughs> and uh, I am looking forward to the conversation ahead. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh, my gosh. You have, like, an incredible story that just had me so intrigued because, uh, you know, sometimes when you talk to people of faith, and Bill and I talk to so many people of, of deep faith and our Catholic faith, and a lot of them, you know, to, quite frankly, a lot of them were raised in very uh, devout homes and, and never really had that sort of major conversion experience because uh, they came from, you know, large, large Catholic families where maybe they were homeschooled or, or very much catechized at a young age. But I know for you, uh, it was a little different than that. That's right. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> of course, we're trying to make our kids to be those people that you're talking about. And hopefully they hold on to the faith, just like, you know, the people that you talk to now that have that deep faith. And, you know, we're homeschooling and we're trying to instill that catechism early and that love of the faith. So hopefully our kids will be those people because neither my husband or I were those kids or, um, or those young adults. And we both had to kind of fight our way into the church, but yes, that that's not at all the way that it was for me. Awesome. Yeah. Love your story. Yeah. I just love it. Share it with a little bit of our listeners. Uh, I, you know, just because, uh, you know, there's probably some people out there listening tonight that don't know that story. So if you can highlight some of it for us, you know, I always say, or many people say that the only thing you cannot argue with, we can argue over doctrine and, and dogma, but the one thing you can't argue with is personal testimony when it comes to Jesus. And, um, so tell us a little bit about your, your journey, Kimberly, for those who are listening, who don't know it. Exactly. Yeah, that is so true about testimony. And that's really why I thought it was so important when I wrote this book to entwine my personal story with the work of feminism through the ages in this country. So with my story, I was raised Catholic, but it was um, not a deep or devoted Catholicism. It was basically just a ritualistic, like we go to mass on Sundays, and then the rest of the day, we can do whatever we want, football or whatever. And the rest of the week is just um, nothing to do with God. There's really 
no inclusion of the faith in the rest of the week other than just going to church on Sundays. And, um, and we didn't have much catechesis on top of that. So it was very shallow. And then when we got old enough to about my brother and I, when we got to the age of about middle school, we started to question why, why do we have to wake up early on Sundays? Why do we have to do this sit stand? You know, what's the point of all this? What is up with the Eucharist? What does that even mean? You know, just all the questions, you know, why do you have to go to confession for, you know, to a priest and just every, what's up with Mary, you know, just all these, uh, kind of surface level questions that every outsider of the faith or kid that is looking at the faith without answers is asking. And um, my parents who had been raised in the church, but you know, the sixties and seventies and all that kind of stuff, and just had a, a poor catechesis themselves and, and just kind of went along with the whole, we do this because we do this. And they never really questioned it. They just went to church on Sundays. So when they, started getting pummeled by my brother and I with questions they were like you know honestly we don't know question why are we doing this you know it wasn't like let's go find answers it was almost just kind of like man maybe we we're in the wrong too you know maybe we've just been blindly following this our whole lives and maybe it doesn't really mean anything or you know maybe you can just have a faith life and believe in God and pray in your own room. Maybe you don't really need to go to church or maybe these sacraments don't really mean much more than just kind of symbols or whatever. So unfortunately our whole family fell away from the church by the time I went to high school and I went to a public high school. Um, and a lot of my friends were very secular, not at all grounded in any kind of faith. And, um, you know, so I started to really get drawn into their understanding of life and philosophy, and that was very much rooted in relativism, and it started to make perfect sense to me because I didn't have any other side to counter it. I knew nobody who was truly Catholic at all during those four years of high school, so all the other voices, you know, media, friends, um, teachers at my public school, all of them kind of had this wash up of the sexual revolution going on. And, um, and so, yeah, to me, what became really appealing was feminism. And I started to get in with some other girls who considered themselves feminists and started to learn more about that movement. I joined um, a punk rock band, an all girl band. And um, we really started kind of spreading that feminist rhetoric in our music and you know as I got deeper and deeper though the same kind of thing that you hear from a lot of people is there was nothing uplifting it was all darkness and despair and and dead ends and empty doors and empty promises and you know uh, um, the whole sex drugs rock and roll kind of thing like there's really nothing good and redeeming and and valuable in any of that so eventually you're gonna crash and burn or you're just gonna go along with that for the rest of your life and kind of you know you see some of these rock stars now that are in their 60s or 70s and they're still trying to tour and do stuff like that and they're still trying to you know make this cool and make this happen and you're thinking wow they just lived this lie their whole life, like for 40 or more years, they've just been going with this, you know? And I think that either you have an awakening and you kind of realize like, what is this? You know, like I'm not doing this for the rest of my life. Or you just kind of like 
turn that part of your brain and your heart off and you just kind of roll with it for the rest of your life. Yeah, you bring up some really awesome points and your story is so, uh, so great that, um, you know, you, you, you know, you've, you highlight how you, you know, kind of navigated through a lot of the lies, um, share with us coming out of that, share with us. Okay. You know, getting, getting, uh, out of that mentality, was there, where was the Jesus moment? You know, I, I you know, we, you know, we use that term a lot, but where was that Jesus moment or that God moment that, that kind of awoken you to say, all right, now I'm going to step out and begin, uh, looking at really where, um, you know, what, wh- what God is calling me to do. Right. Yeah. So, um, like I was saying, I started to really struggle with that idea that there's got to be something more to life. Like there has to be something more else. What are we all just doing here? You know, like it's just, this is just some cruel trick of, you know, either just if there is a God, then he's, he's just, you know, really kind of evil and just watching all of us suffer. And we're all just, you know, kind of going in circles or I didn't see that that love anywhere or else there is no God and we have no purpose to our existence. We live so many odd years. Um, there's suffering, there's pain, there's good moments too, but then it's just darkness forever, you know, and none of those seemed like they made sense to me. So I started as a lot of people do just looking for the truth, looking for the something more that had to be out there, you know, something inside of me told me there's got to be something more than this. There's got to be more than after this life and everything like that. So I knew that it wasn't in the Catholic church because I had already been there. I'd already checked that off the list. And I already knew that the truth was definitely not existent in the Catholic church. So I kind of just started looking every to every religion. I start started kind of studying every religion, Eastern religion, Western religion. And, um, I realized that I definitely, one thing that my um, Catholicism did plant in my heart and having those sacraments, those early sacraments of baptism and communion and confession from when I was younger, those definitely planted in me a understanding that it had to be Jesus. You know, like if I was going to embrace faith, it couldn't be something without Jesus. So Um, So I started going to some Protestant, some different Protestant churches because I was like, okay, I'm not going to be Catholic, but I am going to be Christian. So that means I guess I'm Protestant, you know, and I started going and everything was great for a while, um, but there was still something missing. And I didn't know, again, I don't know if that came from my childhood in the church, something about the Eucharist, something about Mary, you know, um, I'm not sure what exactly it was, but it wasn't enough you know it wasn't all there and so um I was still like in a very rebellious state but yet you know kind of two sides of me fighting with each other this like want to prove that it's all wrong and remain in this rebellious state or to embrace some kind of a truth and just go with that and um so it's kind of like fighting back and forth and I started dating this guy who was an atheist, but he got a job, as Providence would have it, at a firm run by an Italian Catholic family that was very devout in their faith. And he knew that I was on this quest, you know, for religion or whatever. And so he said, you got to meet my boss. You know, he's just, 
he's this Italian Catholic and he knows his faith really well. And I was like, oh, come on. I already checked off Catholic from the list. Like nobody can tell me anything that I don't know about the church because I thought I knew it all at that time. I was like a little punk, you know? <laughs> and um, so I go to finally talk to him. And he honestly was one of those first people, you know, there's a few people along the way, um, probably like three people that I can put my finger on who I encountered during that time who really said things differently than I had ever heard him, who really had a love that was deeper than anyone I had known and really had answers that made more sense than, well, we just do it because we do it because you're, you know, you're just supposed to go on Sundays. That's just why I don't know why. So, you know, he, he was one of those kind of three pillars of people that I crossed paths with that God, you know, put in my path. And then, um, you know, that really started me thinking and really challenged me. And from there, you know, I, I decided to join RCIA just to find out what I didn't know about Catholicism, not that I was going to become Catholic or anything, but just to find out what I didn't know, because I realized maybe there was more that I didn't know than I thought. And, um, and then I just had this beautiful moment happen with our lady. And ultimately wound up at like the odd man out there who wasn't homeschooled, who hadn't been practicing my faith, faith, who didn't even know how to pray the rosary. And I always tell how funny it was because I was on um, one of the intramural sports teams and I was like heading up the team. And I knew that like whenever you said, you know, St. Joseph, everyone would say, pray for me. So I said, um, we all put our hands in and I'm like, St. Michael the Archangel, and I'm expecting everyone to be like, pray for me, and then we run out on the field, and they're like, defend us in battle, blah, 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 and I was like, what? Like, why do they always do that every time I say St. Michael the Archangel? Like, what is the deal? Like, you know, I was so confused. I was like, all right, don't say St. Michael. Pick St. Joseph or something else, because every time I say St. Michael, they all start going into this, like, whole prayer or something, so yeah, there was definitely, like, odd <laughs> moments like that, but, um, but yeah, so that, that was kind of the turnaround point for me. Obviously, when I went to Steubenville, everything kind of changed. All those walls came crashing down. The truth came, you know, blasting through full force. And, you know, everything started to turn around and make sense and fit together for me. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. I love your story. And myself being a mother, too, I mean, I love to hear stories like yours where, you, you're really taking motherhood seriously for what it is, for the gift that it is to all of us as Catholic moms, but you know, not just as Catholic moms, as moms, really. I mean, for all humans. And um, I, th I think that's just amazing. And, um, and, and your story, I love it so much. I want to ask people to go to KimberlyCook.me and learn about the great work that you're doing. So now I'd love to hear about your life now with your husband and your kids and and you know what you're doing and and what it's like to be at, at now I don't know if you're a stay-at-home mom I'm kind of guessing that maybe you are mm -hmm. um, what's that like for you um well it's definitely different than what I would have ever thought because obviously um sorry can you hear me yeah we're good yes can you hear me yeah 
Sorry. Okay. I lost uh, sound for a second there, (laughs) but um, no, it is beautiful. It's absolutely wonderful, but it's also, like I say in the book too, it's the hardest thing I've ever had to do. You know, I was so convinced when I was kind of entrenched in that feminist mentality that being a mother was the worst thing on earth. It was for the loser who had no brains, no ambition, um, who wasted their degrees, you know, and I had all the worst thoughts of motherhood. And I knew that I would never be a mother. That was something that I could have vowed to myself. And, um, and so I guess in life, it was one of the greatest surprises that God did call me to be a wife and mother of four and to, to stay home with them, to homeschool them. I mean, all of these things, you could not have convinced me a younger version of myself, you know, in high school or early 20s, you could have never convinced me that I would be here. I would just laugh in your face, you know, and so it's just funny to think of that. But also, you know, it's definitely not easy when you look, I, you know, I look at all of these feminists throughout United States history in my book. And one thing that they all kind of have in common, no matter what side of the coin they fit on with their beliefs in women staying home or not staying home or doing this or doing that. One thing that they kind of all have in common is to admit how hard motherhood is and what a challenging vocation it is you know what what a challenging job even margaret sanger said about her own mother what a beautiful you know position it was and and how well she did it article they still had this kind of sacred respect for motherhood that more modern feminism has kind of lost um but for me I see it as something where, yeah, your your vices come to the surface every day, all the time. You know, you think that you're a patient person for the most part until you get married and then until you have kids and then until you're deprived. And, you know, you hear mommy, 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 like five million <laughs> times a day. And... But, you know, I'm pretty virtuous of a person. You know, I'm, I'm fairly patient. I'm this and that. Like, you know, you're good. And then you get married and you're like, wow, I'm not so great at this. And then you have kids and you're like, I am terrible at this. Like, I, I need to, you know, what happened to that virtuous single woman who was in confession so many years ago? You know, she... Either she was delusional or had nothing else to challenge her. And I think that was what it was. Like, I didn't have anything to challenge me like I do now. My time was my own time. So so I think it is a gift. And it's also the hardest job I've ever had in my life. And you also can't resign. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can't be like, you know what? This is a... This is not for me. There's too many. This just isn't working. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I love it. I love to hear it. And 
And we've never had a podcast on this particular topic, but let's just say you and I have a little more in common than maybe some people know with our early lives. (laughs) I didn't have a conversion really deeply into my faith until like early thirties. So, um, and wound up being the stay at home mom and homeschooled my kids from preschool all the way to grade 12 and, you know, got involved in a career, you know, after they graduated from high school and things like that. So, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, I was a child of the early eighties and, um, thought the same way that you did about motherhood and about career. And why would I want to be a stay-at-home mom? Why would I even want to maybe not even have kids? Because, you know, my life is more about me, you know? And so it takes a, a pretty big conversion to come to that conclusion that, you know what, life isn't about me. It's about God and it's about what God's will is for me. So uh, that's one reason why I love your story, because honestly, I can really relate. So thank you so much. For- yeah, I think you're welcome. I think a lot of women can relate to this. It's so funny how many people read the book and they're like, I can absolutely relate. I was so sucked into feminism or people that say, I don't think I and in any way a feminist or have any, and then they read the book and they're like, wow, I didn't realize how influenced I was or have been throughout my life by the feminist movement until you kind of lay it all out there. And I realize I've been more influenced by a lot of this than I either knew or maybe was willing to admit to myself or things like that. And, um, and I like what you said about having to realize that, life is not about us because yeah same thing my life was about me what do I want what career do I want what do I want to do with my life and I can't be dragged down by other people um even if they're my own children you know I I can't have other uh impediments in my way and to think that you first of all we're so selfish to think of look at your children and to to ever think that they could be like impediments to what's important in life it's like okay that was completely backwards but um also i think that that's something still that i have to choose every day is that it's not about me (laughs) you know like i think we never stop having to choose that no matter what every single day it's like okay this isn't about me it's about god it's not about me. It's about God. And no, oh, absolutely. And think about all of the young people, especially I think in our current culture, young women, especially who are being quote sucked into this mentality of, of, you know, I don't know what both of your opinion is on this and maybe we can talk about it, but I think that's something I see in our culture, especially when it comes to little kids is we instill this whole idea that, hey, you can do whatever you want, be whoever you want to be. And, you know, spending a lot of money that we spend on different activities for our kids, which is all beautiful and wonderful. But I think sometimes we we spend all this time on them when they're younger. And then we get to a certain age in our culture where all of that kind of drops off. As you notice, the older we get, the less important people become, right? So we teach the kids at a young age that it's so important to find out who you are and have all these different hobbies and sports and everything. But then as they mature and get older, notice how 
you know, once you hit into your 40s, 50s, and I mean, I'm in my 50s now, but I mean, 60s, 70s, the older we get, it's almost pe- like people become invisible. So what are we really teaching them, you know, I mean, about life? What are we teaching them about the value of every human life from conception to natural death? We're teaching them, I think, that they're real important when they're younger. And the younger you are, the more important you are. But the older you get, the less important. Does that make any sense? Mm. I don't know if anybody's ever. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, I mean, I. I, Right, yeah, I definitely. I definitely think that with you make a good point with um, spending so much on our children, you know, sometimes just too much exorbitant, like putting them in a million sports and activities and, you know, the family is doing something every single night of the week, running this person here and that person there. And it's like the family actually is no longer central or important. It's all the activities that kind of run the family's life. And, um, And I think that that is one of the beautiful things that you see in large families. First of all, they just can't do that as much. And uh, it's just not financially possible. It's not physically possible to be in a million places at once. So even if they wanted to, they couldn't. Um, But also, you kind of learn early on about sacrifice, you know, that not everyone can play a sport this year or not everybody can do everything they want to do. And I think that is essential to learn that it's about the other, you know, it's not just about you. So it's just from the earliest moments of life in the earliest years, you have to learn that you're not, it's not all about you. You're not number one. And, um, you know, if you don't play soccer this year, I'm sure you'll be fine. You know what I mean? Like it's certainly not going to affect your entrance into heaven, and um, the chances of you becoming a professional soccer player are not that great. You know, so I think sometimes we really put the wrong things um, at the forefront and we do lose sight of the family or how important it is to teach our kids to sacrifice for each other and um, and for the family unit and for other people and that it is important to put others first and it's not all about you and some people you see who are like you said in their 30s 40s or beyond still haven't learned that those are the worst oh absolutely people can become you know and I say people because I'm not just talking about other people I mean we all can become selfish in our thoughts and ways right I mean we're we're all uh guilty of it I think But um, I think we need to teach kids more about uh, being uh, servants to others. And I don't mean servants to us. I mean, just how to be uh, serving your communities and and God and others. And and not all this big focus on all of these activities that parents pay an arm and a leg for. You know, you pay, you take lessons for a certain age where the parents pay thousands of dollars, but then once high school's done, they stop paying. And then does the kid continue with it? You know, so I guess that's my point. I think that we're, uh, we're putting our money in the wrong place. And like you said, when you have bigger families, not everybody can afford all that stuff. And um, these are all really important things to think about you know, and, um, and prayer, I think as a family is very important. I know that you probably do too. 
I think we're frozen. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, okay. Okay. Yeah. We, we've definitely embraced the family rosary every day. I think that has been something for me that's been so unifying because no matter how much you feel like you failed through the day, there's certainly days where I'm like, oh my gosh, I just failed so much as a mother today. You know, like I just lost patience. I just, uh, you know, had a bad day with the kids. And um, it's like coming together at the end of the night with the rosary all together you realize that once again, it's not about you and, you know, you're not getting graded on this day and this doesn't determine whether you're going to keep your job or not, you know, but you realize that it's about God and ultimately tomorrow's a new day and he's the one who is binding you. He's the one who's uniting you in prayer. He's brought you to this point, first of all, with your spouse, with your children, with whatever blessings that you have he's gotten you there and he will get you beyond there and so I think that for me the rosary is so powerful and also so humbling at the end of every day and you really notice it if you you like if you're traveling or something and you kind of miss that family being together and praying that it really it affects your night and your next day you realize that something's missing no, absolutely. I agree with you. I'm sure Bill's nodding. Oh, I know yeah. he does too. No, I, I, I think <laughs> it's so, I, you know, I think you're so spot on with so many of your uh, comments and, and, uh, and analysis of things, Kimberly, that, uh, you know, praying together, you know, it really does keep the family together. It, it solves a lot of the, you know, the, the failures of the day, right? I mean, you know, uh, you know, love covers a multitude of sins. And I think if we can, you know, pray together and love one another in the rosary, I think it just is one of those, uh, great family, family things. Uh, so, so kudos to you and a lot of young people out there listening, or if you're listening to this, you know, maybe consider doing it with your, you know, kids before bedtime or, you know, praying a family rosary so that you, you, you know, you can grow closer, you know, to your relationship with God and your children at the same time. You can grow closer to your relationship with your husband and with God at the same time, uh, you know, God is, you know, ever present and he, and he inserts ourselves into, you know, those moments. I, I look forward uh, a little bit to, to my future fatherhood and I, and it's really not even future. It's here now because my wife is pregnant, but, um, but, but you, but you look forward to, uh, you know, those, those little moments, right? Like, okay, what, what, what can we do to insert God into the moments of the day? What can we do to, to, to make this, um, a wholesome, you know, day to day, uh, and and even amidst our failings and our faults, that we're going to find ourselves in God. God is ever present. He sees it all. He knows it all. Uh, and by offering that back to Him in a gift of prayer with your ki- children and your family, man, it it really does uplift and and, and help them, um, you know, grow grow in their faith, uh, and and helps you grow in your own faith too, right? Like it helps you grow in your own faith, um, and and so that's awesome. Uh, but I, I certainly don't want to, um, you know, change gears too abruptly here, Kimberly. But I, but I do want to make sure we talk a little bit about, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, certainly the podcast, you know, the dignity of women, and then also, you know, of course, promote the book because I, and I know we're weaving it through the discussion here too. But, but certainly, tell us a little bit about, you know, the, you know, the podcast, the ministry, uh, and again, Kimberly's website is very simple. It's KimberlyCook.me. 
so, but tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, because I, I know you've had some amazing guests on the, uh, on the Big <laughs> Women podcast and big shout out to uh, Pete Socks at Breadbox Media. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so obviously once I came to that place of conversion, I still felt this strong calling to evangelize, to minister, and to reach out to other women. And um, I wasn't sure how God was going to kind of turn a 180 for that with me because it had been really negative before that point in time with, you know, this, like I said, feminist rhetoric. So how is God going to still use me? He obviously put some kind of desire to serve women in my heart, but how is he going to transform that now at this point in time? And so that was kind of the question and it took years to unravel and still slowly unraveling. But um, one thing was I just started writing, you know, I kind of started blogging early on and then started writing articles. And I was constantly, first of all, I have my master's in theology and systematic theology. So that is definitely a passion of mine. So I wrote a lot of articles in that area. And then I found myself constantly drawn towards the idea of ministering to women and, and women in scripture and women's role in society. And, we, you know, that the unison of our faith, our Catholic faith, and what Christ calls us to be in the family and in the world. And of course, John Paul II has talked about that like no one else's business. And so one of my favorite encyclicals is Mulieris Dignitatum, which is the dignity of women written by John Paul II. I've read it I've read it a million times. And um, so when I was asked by, like you said, Pete Sox to uh, start podcasting, the first thing that really came to my mind was the dignity of women that, you know, that's got to be what the framework for this is about and the inspiration coming from John Paul II and, and from what he spelled out as um, the dignity of women in the church and in the world. So, um, so that's kind of how it started and it has been great. There's been some amazing guests and we've been able to talk about, like you said, challenging modern feminism, um, talking about the true role of women in and out of the family and, um, and a role that inspires dignity and that protects their dignity and I mean, we talk to a lot of men as well. There's a lot of male guests and we talk about masculinity as well because it's two sides of the same coin. And um, and so, yeah, that's kind of how it's it's gone. We've had some awesome guests and um, we've had some great conversations. I've been able to interview some people that have inspired me so much. I think that's the exciting thing about podcasting is people that whose books that you love or whose ministry you love you can actually speak with them and um, and it's hard to ever be able to do that, to just walk up to someone and be like, well, I really like everything that you do. Will you talk to me and can I record it? You know, like, <laughs> it's 
go, uh, you would have been a creeper, you know, but now you're just a podcaster. So <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I love that. I love that. You know, it is. Yeah. It is the best. The only, half, That's a good way to say it. <laughs> half, half the people that want to talk to me only talk to me because I have a podcast. The other half, I'm driving around in Uber, so they have to talk because they're stuck in the car. But other than that, uh, no, it's no, it's really nice. Um, and you certainly have a point. But no, it's no, it's wonderful that uh, you you have such a great podcast. It you got a wonderful following, and I know you have all the Facebook groups and all that stuff too, Kimberly. Uh, people can get involved, you know, with Dignity of Women on uh, on on Facebook and all that stuff. Uh, so so certainly there is, um, you know. Also, I, I want to touch a little bit on the book too uh it looks like kimberly's frozen there for just a second uh those dreaded internet problems uh maybe i got everybody frozen actually folks our stream is down and we're going to get that back up for you and we will rejoin in progress with the broadcast in just a few seconds it wasn't fully infused with the richness of the faith um as you know, it would have been elevated in that way, but there was definitely a good basis for it. And so I think that sometimes people do feel guilty if they didn't give enough to their children. You know, maybe they learned more about the faith as they got older, as their children got older. But I do think just there is something to be said about just that solid foundation of motherhood and fatherhood and the family in general that makes people hungry to want to know more. And so I would say, you know, I guess for me, I was always searching. I was always hungry for the truth. So for somebody who's not interested in finding the truth, I don't know. I mean, sometimes it does take life events to happen where you hit rock bottom or, and I know looking at other people, sometimes people talk about their own adult children or friends or, or whoever that their loved ones. Um, sometimes it does unfortunately take that like rock bottom moment for somebody to want to come back to the faith or come to the faith, because honestly, you can try to be the best evangelist. There's so much to be said about praying and fasting for people, but ultimately that's, got to be a free gift that is accepted by that person from God and no amount of kicking and screaming and dragging the other person to the well is gonna get them there you know no I love that advice yeah that is so so true I mean the only other question I think I'm on that topic that I may have is you know there's a lot of people who begin to have an interest in their faith but literally they were raised in in pretty much secular families uh, most of their friends are secular, uh, maybe even their own uh, inside their own home, you know, their husband and kids or whatever, or, or whatever, or, or I'm, I say husband and kids, but I mean, it could be parents or, um, you know, other relatives, but they're pretty much surrounded only by people who don't believe in the faith. Would you have any advice for people like that on how to uh, get connected with communities so that they can start to really celebrate who they are because you know it takes a lot of prayer for people around us to start to kind of come in the way that we have yeah i definitely think community is essential and it's funny that you know we're talking about this in the middle of a pandemic because it certainly makes it harder so much harder because you know even being in a community 
on Zoom or, or things like that is certainly not the same as we know, like going to, if you've ever been to a prayer group or, you know, things like that, it's just, it's certainly not the same. You can't have someone, you know, praying over you or, you know, a, a healing mass or things like that. It certainly puts a different spin on things. And, um, but I think that communion or community is so essential and, um, and that is something that if you are feeling called, but you feel like you don't have the support in your family or your circle of friends, you've got to find that community, you know, whether it's through your parish, whether it's, a, I mean, a lot of parishes have groups that you can just check in on in the bulletin or call the parish, but to find yourself something that fits that you feel called to, whether it's, you know, Legion of Mary or whether it's um, a young adults group or whether it's um, Knights of Columbus or whatever it is that speaks to you or that you feel kind of attracts your soul and your spirituality, I think it's important to be surrounded by other people that feel united to that mission and to start making good friends and, um, and mentors and peers that are supportive of your faith. That's so important. Yes, absolutely. And uh, folks, I just want to uh, jump in here real quick, <laughs> Kimberly, because uh, my internet died, <laughs> oh, <laughs> went completely Bill. out. Oh. So uh, so I apologize to people. I did get the stream back up and running, but I apologize to anybody who was listening. It just died out on you. So uh, because I because my computer's the one upholding the show, I apologize. But uh do, do know that we have a backup recording of it, so we'll get uh, it, it uploaded later. So I apologize, but only can do so much when the Internet bombs out. <laughs> yeah, no problem, Bill. I mean, you know, life happens. In fact, uh, my computer was very slow today. Not that all our listeners need to heal, hear all about that. <laughs> no, no, but I just but, wanted uh... to quickly apologize as we were. <laughs> Sorry about that, folks. Right, right. So um, let's talk about the kids before we end. I mean, you, you said you have four kids. Tell us about your kids, their ages. Um, you said you're homeschooling. I mean, I homeschooled too. It was the, one of the best decisions I ever made. Both of my, I have two daughters and they're both very um, entrenched in their faith. Bill knows them and, um, you know, they're, they're very good people and, uh, you know, love their faith. My one daughter is a theology teacher at a Catholic high school. And my other daughter, which Bill knows, uh, is now working part-time for Good News Ministries and uh, wow. doing great work for them. So um, so please do tell us about your kids and um, anything you want to share. Yeah, well, our kids are, the four of them are fairly close in age. So the oldest is eight and the youngest is three. So we were definitely those parents that had three kids under the age of three at one point in time and um you know we kind of got <laughs> inducted into the catholic big family really fast um early on in marriage so um that was hard and i i talk about that in the book as well because again on the challenges of motherhood and that was certainly one of them and um, and everyone kept on saying, you know, after a few years when you don't have three kids in diapers at the same time, it won't be so hard. And <laughs> I couldn't believe them at that time. I was like, I cannot see, you know, even one year down the road right now. But it's true. And um, 
and you're so thankful for them, of course, and for me, that they're so close together. At the time, it seemed crazy, but now it's so fun to see how close they are with each other. The, you know, the oldest two are just 15 months apart, and then the next two are 16 months apart. So, you know, it's just now it's so fun because they have so much in common. They're so close in age that they can do so much together. It's not like younger brother, younger sister tagging along because they're, you know, basically the same age and into the same things. And homeschooling, we just started it last year was our first year um, because our oldest is just in second grade now. But I absolutely love it. And it's funny because I feel like sometimes I get more out of it than they do just because rereading some of this stuff. I mean, we do a Catholic homeschool program. So you're doing, you know, catechesis with them. And I obviously have already gone up to the master's level in theology. But then sometimes when you read these simple things with kids, like, you know, you read this scripture and there's this simple explanation and you're like, oh, my God gosh and I'm like that is so profound and they're like what are you talking about mommy or else they'll say something I'll be like what do you guys think about this you know and I'm expecting a first or second grade answer and they'll say something that like blows my mind that I'm like I never thought about that with this scripture like that never occurred to me so and I mean, that happens with every subject, you know, we'll ta be talking about different wars or history or things like that, that you remember from like elementary school, but you never really revisit it again. And you read it again, and their interpretation of it, or their questions awakens a whole new outlook. You're like, wow, how, how come I never thought about that? You know, when we were studying the Star Spangled Banner or this or that, and so it's, I love the fact that it's not just dull, like, oh, I'm, I've already done all this. I've already learned all this. It's from their perspective, it's sometimes more profound than sitting in like a master's level class because they just have this childlike wisdom that sometimes unlocks so much and so much richness, whether it's the faith or just, just wonder, you know, kids have this wonder that a lot of times as adults we forget about or we don't have time for or we don't allow ourselves to partake in so that to me has been the coolest part of homeschooling is is relearning wonder mm. oh my gosh i i completely agree wonderful memories of homeschooling and i'm, I'm a big huge proponent of it so now, I have to say one thing my daughter always gets on me for this, that when you see all these parenting books all over the place, I say, my thing is, you know, it can be summed up in just one word, the, the word no, you know, I mean, it, there you go. You got your parenting guide right there. You know, don't let your kids do whatever they want. You know, I mean, that's that's my simple parenting guide for, for Catholic parents, you know. But uh, <laughs> my daughter's like, mom, stop saying that. You know, she's going to be 25, but. And you'd you know, probably still it, tell her no, right? <laughs> oh, I do. Yeah, she's still under my roof, right? <laughs> no, it's beautiful. We do a lot of the opposites of how we were raised, you know. <laughs> For sure. Some of us. But, um, but yeah, thank you so much. And um, this has been wonderful. I just want to ask people to please do go to KimberlyCook.me, Motherhood Redeemed, Tan Books, and also the Dignity of Women podcast. Kimberly, I definitely want to um, connect with you again. 
I would love to also host you on the, the podcast for the St. Raymond Onatus Foundation, where I'm the director. We'll talk about that more later on. Thanks so much. Great. Thank you both. This has been wonderful. Oh, yes. It has. I love your story. Oh, yeah. So much fun. And uh, again, please, people, uh, head over to Kimberly's website, KimberlyCook.me. Uh, her new book is Motherhood Redeemed, How Radical Feminism Betrayed Maternal Love. And uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful book put out by Tan Books, and uh, you can uh, read the book and get it on her website. So, uh, so, so please check that out. Of course, the Dignity of Women podcast. And, uh, and yeah, Kimberly, thank you so much for, for your time and everything tonight. Uh, folks, if you missed a little section of the podcast, know that uh, we'll have a recording up for you uh, later. And uh, do apologize for uh, dropping uh, the, uh, the, the, the Internet always has a funny way of doing that during these most holy conversations. <laughs> so, so I do apologize, and we'll get that uh, recording up to you. Uh, shortly after the show's over. But Kimberly, thank you again so much for everything. This has been a wonderful podcast and definitely have to have you back. Thank you. I'd love to. Amen. Uh, all right, folks. Well, um, as we wrap up here, I want to remind you that you can always visit our websites, uh, simply patchworkheart.org and also andysantis.com uh, for more information about all of our uh apostolates and what we're doing to build up the kingdom of God. Uh, but until next time from all of us here at the St. Raymond Onatus Foundation, Patchwork Heart Ministry, and Fiat Ministry Network, I'm Bill Snyder. Keep beating to your Catholic heart and sowing hope into broken hearts. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sewing Hope on Patchwork Heart Radio. For more information about this podcast and our ministries, visit our websites, patchworkheart.org and andesantis.com. You can also follow and interact with us on Twitter at PWH Ministry or andesantis2.